our favorite thing to ask our kids is like, I wonder. So even if the kid is coming to you with a question you don't know, like, I don't know, those questions before bedtime that kids ask you, like, should we pray for the devil or something like that? It's 9 p.m. <laughs> and I could tell them stories from the Bible. I don't know. Or I could just be like, hmm, I wonder. Okay, welcome everyone to the Orthodox Christian Podcast. And today I have the privilege of speaking with the founders of Draw Near Designs. And um, I've got Marion Adams and Caroline Gann. And for everyone watching or listening, Marion and Caroline, why don't you take a second to introduce yourself and tell everyone what you spend your time doing? Well, I'm Marion Adams. Um, we together started Draw Near Designs, which is a company that makes um, products for Orthodox families and kids. We try to make them educational and edifying. And then we also carry items from a variety of other Orthodox small businesses um, from all around the world. And so we live in Louisville, Kentucky, and we both have a gaggle of children. And um, I am speaking right now with a baby on my back. So if you hear noises in the background, that's why. <laughs> so. And I'm Caroline Gann, and um, I'm the other owner of Draw Near Designs. And I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. We spend most of our weekends, we'll try to go on hikes with our family. There's a lot of really beautiful parks here in Louisville. Um, I don't know. We do a lot of crafts <laughs> when it's As cold you... it is today and we stay inside. So. Yes, yes. Well, that makes perfect sense being to like illustrators or uh, crafty sorts of people that are involved in that world. So um, why don't we talk a little bit about Draw Near Designs itself before jumping into the two of your individual stories. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the vision of the company, how it got started, and a little bit more about the actual products that you guys are creating? Yeah, it all started with this idea for a calendar for Orthodox kids. And I know it sounds really cheesy, but the idea, actually, I had a dream about it before any of this started. One of my mm -hmm. friends um, was working on illustrating a children's book for Orthodox kids. And so I had a dream about collaborating with her and making a calendar that was like made for Orthodox children and really interactive. Um, and so I kind of just mentioned it to her and we were both kind of laughed it off. But then a month or two yeah. later, we, we both were like, you know, I just can't get this idea out of my head. Like, what would it take to do this? And Caroline Gann has the graphic design skills um, and she was willing to jump on board. So we started out with a Kickstarter campaign to fund the printing of the first calendar. Mm -hmm. And we really had no idea what to expect. Um, but the campaign, there was a lot of enthusiasm. The campaign was funded within a week and that was really encouraging. And so it's just grown really organically since then. We um, started a website so people would have a place to order calendars. We decided to start adding products from other um, Orthodox small businesses because we felt like we were getting um, a lot of visitors to our website and we thought that that would be a good way to, sorry, baby's getting fuzzy. Um, no worries. <laughs> support other Orthodox small businesses who maybe people just didn't know about but if they came mm -hmm. to our website looking for a calendar, then, oh, they could find this other artist or, you know, all these other things. And then from then we've just kind of added products as they have, as we felt a need. Um, and it's really just kind of grown slowly and steadily over the past seven years. Um, 
and to what it is today. Awesome. And at this point, is it a business that stands on its own two feet that uh, brings in enough to keep things interesting for the two of you? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. We always feel like there's so much, we have so many ideas and if we Mm -hmm. had more time, uh, we could do so much more, but our, our full-time jobs are being stay-at-home moms and that's really our priority. And so John Your Designs has to take a a backseat to that for now, but um, we love it and it's so much fun and hopefully it'll just keep growing as our kids get older and we have more time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's nice that you are keeping the main thing, the main thing, because I know that in our culture in the West, that it is often common for um, women to be really, really encouraged to have a career, which is, a, you know, if someone wants to go in that direction and make it their full-time thing, that's great. But I've noticed uh, sometimes it's not as encouraged that women would have children and have a family and raise the next generation, which arguably is uh, much more important because if we don't have the next generation, we don't really have much. So good for the two of you for keeping on with that. Really, you know, everything we do is for our kids. And so even though it can be really hard to balance the two, you know, we do try to remember that the work that we're doing is for them. And so, you know, not to, not to put them on the back burner as much as we can. Yeah. I think it's encouraging too, that we're making this business ourselves and we're building it like oh, your kid is sick, go work from home or whatever, you know, or we bring our kids here for the afternoon after preschool and they just play together. So it's really cool to be building this, like, it feels like a new kind of business. Like, what should it look like to be working moms? You know, it should look like, of course you stay home with your kid and like take maternity leave and, you know, prioritize your family and right. We're I mean, glory to God, we've still been able to get our work done. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. sometimes you just have have to hit a deadline. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, and that's a big advantage of owning your own company is that you do to have that freedom. Yeah. Yes. Write the rule book. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for the two of you uh, individually, um, Marion, you were mentioning that you did grow up in the church. Caroline, you converted to the church at some point. So um, different paths, but they converged. And I'm just curious, um, maybe we'll start with you, Caroline. Just tell us a little bit about um, maybe briefly what you grew up with, whether that was uh, a form of Christianity or, or any sort of religion, and then why you eventually joined the Orthodox Church. Sure. I grew up uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and my family was very Lutheran and very, I don't know, I had a beautiful Christian family upbringing. My grandpa was a Lutheran pastor and my uncle was a Lutheran pastor And they were all beautiful, faithful Christians. So I feel like I had a really healthy Christian upbringing in that way. And I realize it more and more as an adult talking to other people who were also brought up as Christians. There was no judgment or there wasn't a lot of condemnation in the particular church I went to and that my family worked in. Um, So I'm really grateful for that. My husband was going to college and focusing on Christian history as much as he could with his degree when we met. And his goal was to go to seminary when he graduated and become a youth pastor. So he started kind of hardcore researching different, I guess, denominations to make sure like, do he also grew up Lutheran. So do I want to go to a Lutheran seminary or should I do something else before I commit 
my whole life to this was kind of the the situation he was in. So in this process, he learned about the Orthodox Church from one class, one day of um, one of his Christian history classes. And I think they talked about the Cappadocian Fathers. And he was like, wait, wait, we just we talked about it. And then now we're done. And that was, you know, 30 minutes or something. So um, glory to God, there was a parishioner of St. Michael's in the class with him that he was friends with that he kind of talked to a little bit. He started reading books and then he's talking to me about it as well. And um, eventually I went to St. Michael's with him and St. Michael's in Louisville, Kentucky, where we go is this huge parish and they have beautiful icons all around the walls, beautiful iconostas, huge dome. And I went in as a Lutheran and my church was very, um, it was like a modern architecture Lutheran church. So there, it was like plain, big cross in the middle and that's it. So coming from that to St. Michael's was crazy. And I remember thinking, I can't do this. Like, I can't spend the rest of my life like this. What are these icons? What is the iconostas that's blocking my view of the altar? And I really hated it. And I got in the car and I cried because I remember just feeling so overwhelmed at this is the man I want to marry. This is the direction his life is going. And I want to support it. But this is so overwhelming. So I started Googling the icons what are icons what's the iconostas and the more I read the more I realized that the orthodox church had really good answers for those things so I went from being afraid of all those things to really loving them even more than the church I was originally in so um it took us probably three or four years to actually convert um and so I I graduated college and got married and then converted the next year. So I've been Orthodox for about 10 years now. Um, and really it's just from my husband putting me in the church and me being almost offended by the things I saw and then looking them up and realizing that, wow, those things are really beneficial, you know? And I feel like every season I'm in now, I love a different part of the church for a different reason you know when I had newborns I loved it for the repetitive you know we're saying the same thing every Sunday so I can be in the narthex or I can be in the church and I can still track with the services but I feel like each season I appreciate a different part of it more so mm. and with the Lutheran Missouri Synod is yeah. that um I don't know if I've got this right is that like a more conservative form of Lutheranism yeah, it is. So okay. they, I don't know a lot about it today as far as their rules, but yeah, there's different branches of Missouri Senate. It's probably the most conservative. It's very liturgical and there's a lot of, a lot of the structure and the prayers that are used in the church I grew up in, we use in the Orthodox church as well. So. Okay. Okay. So I guess it'd be similar to like almost like a high Anglican service, like very liturgical, although in your case, it was pretty sparse in terms of the actual aesthetics of the right. building. 
Right. The church my grandpa was at, it was very, it probably looked more like a Catholic church with the stained glass windows um, and the more ornate altar. But the particular church I grew up in was very, like the architecture was very modern. So, yeah. Okay. Neat. Well, that's that's helpful to know. And then it sounds like, if I'm summarizing correctly, that uh, orthodoxy wasn't really on your map, that it was because your um, then-to-be husband was right. um, studying and encountered it and was really drawn to it and that you were uh, sort of scandalized by it or just off-put mm -hmm. by it, to say the least, and right. that it was through researching some of these topics that you found that the answers given were satisfying. And so then you decided to to leap over and, and follow him more or less. But were there any other reasons that um, stand out in terms of uh, being attracted to orthodoxy or choosing to continue in that direction? Yes, I think the once kind of, once I wasn't appalled by what I was seeing, you know, with the icons and the iconostas, those were the two things that bothered me visually that I then became you know, I then loved after I learned what they were for. Um, I just really appreciated the, I guess, apostolic nature of the Orthodox Church that we know that it is from the apostles and we can trace it back. I love that we have the church fathers that are the fathers and mothers that are embraced in our church. Um, and I think big picture I liked that we think that the apostles knew more about Jesus than some 40 year old who's been to seminary you know that we value the writings of the fathers and mothers of the church more than we would value a modern person like we value what modern people say but we know that we have this tradition that teaches us about what the apostles had learned about Christ. So I really loved that part of it. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I know that a lot of people with the icons do um, have a challenge with that initially, or as you mentioned, the iconostasis, this like wall of icons at the front of the church building. And uh, was there a particular argument or reasoning that you found uh, persuasive in terms of icons and why they're included in Orthodox worship? Um, for icons in particular, Yes. So I remember coming to church on the Sunday of Mary of Egypt at St. Michael's. And I don't really remember who told me this, but there was a really nice woman that came up and talked to us, to my husband and I, we weren't married yet. And she's explaining the Sunday. So this is the Sunday of Mary of Egypt. We are remembering this woman who just was a harlot and lived a life of I don't know craziness and then learned about God had this encounter with the mother of God and ended up living her life in the desert and she's telling me about how much this woman loved God and then father Zosimas came to her because he was looking for someone more holy than he was and he had this revelation through Mary of Egypt and I remember being like this woman is so incredible like it really helped me understand icons and saints at the same time and then this lady said oh and her icon is right over here and it's one of these huge probably nine foot icons that we have in our church and I just remember tearing up so she's my patron saint because she helped me 
make that leap of like, wow, this is a really good reason to ask this person to pray for me and to have an icon where that we use to remember her by. So I felt really that experience really just helped me a lot. And then as an inquirer, I remember getting to a point with venerating icons where I was like, okay, in theory, I kind of agree with these things. I still don't fully understand why I should venerate an icon, but I'm just going to try it. So, you know, one Sunday you go, we were at a parish in Nicholasville. So I remember like going up in front of the icon in our little line and venerating it for the first time and being like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And kind of learning through the process of doing these actions that the church gives us. So that was helpful for me too. So that's a pretty neat story in that it was actually this uh, saint's life that you found attractive. And that's right. what was the entry point for um, having an icon and seeing the significance of that. Um, I think also if anyone is listening or watching and they're not familiar with icons, I mean, something that has been helpful for me is that um, in the Old Testament, like we'll read about like, do not make a graven image. And then people will think that, oh, that means like no images at all in churches. And the thing that you have to wrestle with is that in the old testament there are actual images that appear right after that in the temple and the tabernacle and so it's not just like a strict prohibition against any images and then there's the side i, I mean i think you guys would probably appreciate this and that you're educators in terms of what you're doing that the way you educate people is not just by um, giving them texts and words but actually by giving them images and that we are surrounded by images in our culture and so if whether or not we use icons in the church doesn't mean that we don't have icons in the rest of our lives. Like on your computer, you have icons. Uh, when you go to the mall, there's icons. In people's bedrooms, there's icons, more or less. It's like images of the ideal life of like a hockey player, or a, a skateboarder, or whatever else that essentially they're wanting to imitate and they're setting up as an ideal. So anyway, that's, that's a bit of an aside. Um, uh, Marion, just tell us a little bit about uh, your upbringing in the Orthodox Church and uh, what that looked like. Yeah, so I, as I said before, um, I grew up Orthodox. I, um, my family is a little bit unique in that we are kind of culturally just kind of your, I don't know, European American nothing particularly interesting culturally. Um, and so my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandmother actually all converted to orthodoxy. So even though we come from a very kind of Anglo-Saxon um, background, I do have, you know, this like family line um, who are all orthodox. And so um, I grew up in the church. My parents are uh, very well-read. They're very um, dedicated to the church. They still are. They live about an hour away and go to the church um, in Lexington there. And so, of course, that was a huge blessing to me. I went to a, a Protestant Christian school. And so um, I did grow up in a Christian environment, um, but didn't have a lot of friends who were Orthodox or like peers who were Orthodox. Um, and always felt like that was, um, I felt like a little bit of an outsider because of that, because most of my friends were all Presbyterian or Protestant of some variety. Um, and so 
part of that was that I felt like there was, well, back when I was growing up, there really wasn't nearly as many resources for kids as for Orthodox kids as there are now. And so a lot of what we make are things that I'm like, I, I wish I had had this growing up. You know, I wish that we had had a calendar that wasn't, you know, from the church with all this like tiny writing and, um, an advertisement for a funeral home on the bottom. I don't know why they all have advertisements for funeral homes, but you know, like it's made for adults and that's great. And I'm so glad it's useful, but I didn't, I wasn't interested in it and I didn't feel like it was for me, you know? Um, and like, we always got an advent calendar that was a 25 day advent calendar that started on December 1st. And I was like, that's great. And it's fun. But like our advent starts November 15th, you know, nativity season, the nativity fast, whatever. And so growing up now I get to like make a 40 day advent calendar. So my kids will always have had that. Like they, they won't remember a time when there wasn't an advent calendar like for them. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is a great resource, by the way. We have that one and the uh, <laughs> the Lenten one and uh, the actual the paper calendar too. So uh, good products. And they didn't pay me to say that either. Um, <laughs> so Marion, with growing up in the church and actually with like multiple generations converting at the same, well, was it at the same time that all like the grandparents, parents and you? Close you, to the you, same time. Yeah. Close to the same time? My uh, okay. parents and parents converted first then my great-grandmother and then I was born (laughs) so a great-grandmother okay all the way up there so um what was the thing that caused them to convert they were Episcopalian and um they had some issues with the questions that were being addressed by the church the Episcopal church at the time if I remember correctly um and so when they found orthodoxy they were just so happy that the big controversies within the churches were like whether they should use electrical electric candles in the chandeliers or you know beeswax tapers and um I think that they really appreciated the continuity of the church and you know how it's been the same for centuries and centuries and so okay um yeah okay so Episcopalian is like Anglican for everyone listening but it's the American form of um, Anglican. Um, okay, and then with growing up in the church, it, it sounds like in general, like there weren't a lot of other Orthodox kids that you knew. When you went to the church itself, were there other Orthodox families there or were you sort of um, one of the only kids in the parish as well? There were some other Orthodox families. Um, it was, well, we moved around some. So I've lived in Kentucky and Texas and in Indiana and Alabama. And so- um, you know, got to know a lot of Orthodox families in a lot of different places. And there were always, you know, a few other kids in the parish, the one where I spent the most time was in Lexington. And there were, you know, some other families with kids and one, one other family went to our school. And so it was really nice to have them. They were some of my best friends and the godchildren of my parents. Um, but, and an, another thing that really helped for me was going to an Orthodox camp over the summer, because I think it was, just helpful to see that like I don't know there were like cool normal kids who were also orthodox like it's like oh I can I can be that you know I don't know it was just helpful to have that um that huge crowd of orthodox kids to see how you know how different it all can be for everybody and I think as parents we see that now too yeah kids listen to 
other people more. Yeah, Caroline was saying that it's, you know, it could be helpful to for kids to see it from other people, not like not just your parents. Totally. Yeah, yeah, that's that's super beneficial. And when you were growing up with the church, were there certain moments where you had to wrestle with different things and and overcome them, like when you were a teenager or before or after, were there um, hurdles that you had to overcome? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, I feel like when you grow up for everybody, you, you know, kind of start off in your family with what you're taught and eventually you have to make your own choices and make the faith your own. Um, and of course, some people leave the church and some people find the church or, you know, we're all on our journeys. Um, and so some of the big moments that stand out for me was one of them was reading, uh, father Arsini the book about a Russian priest who was in the concentration camps during World War II. And that really impacted me because I was asking the question of like, okay, so I know all this theology and blah, 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 but like, how do I live this out? What is my life supposed to look like? And I felt like his life, I was like, okay, I just want to be like him. (laughs) I don't know if you've read the book, but if you haven't, you should, because it's amazing. Um, And so that was, that was an impactful moment. Um, college was, you know, a time where I was trying to figure it out. And it was honestly really hard to go to church because I, I lived, um, hundreds of miles away from home. And so going to church just made me feel kind of lonely and more isolated. Um, so that was hard, but then I got married and my husband's Orthodox. Um, and so we were able to make church more of a weekly, you know, a, a way of life again, um, after we got married and I, I moved here right after college. And then of course, having kids just makes me more inspired to both be a good Orthodox Christian myself and hopes to be a good example to them. Um, and then also like running drawn your designs. I, I always feel like it's, you know, what we make is like for our kids and for our customers. And we hope that it like helps you and helps your kids and all of that. But really like, it's for me, it keeps me like on, on track. And um, so like, that's the best thing I get out of this business is, you know, my own journey towards salvation, God willing, by God's grace. <laughs> totally. Yeah. The teacher learns the most, right? Yeah. So with the two of you, um, with Drawing Your Designs, I'm kind of curious, well, and even before that, like having converted to the church, Caroline, and then having grown up in it, Marion, do you find that there are certain things that you see from uh, different perspectives and maybe in a helpful way, maybe in uh, a bothersome way at times? Do you notice anything like that? Like different perspectives from each other? Yeah, yeah. So I imagine that there might be certain things um if you maybe grow up in the church that you see from a particular vantage point and then if you convert to orthodoxy like at a later stage in life you're seeing it from a bit of a different angle and that can be a very beneficial thing sometimes that can create tension um so if if there's anything that comes to mind along that line i'd be curious we see eye to eye on most things yeah i feel like one of the differences that i see often with cradle orthodox people who've grown up in the church and converts is that and this is a huge generalization but um like because for me it's just a way of life it's like what I've always known there's 
less um uh I don't know I don't know what the right word is but like the very specific sometimes converts get very focused on like the the rules of it all um yeah they're very rigid rigid um Mm -hmm. and so the two of us have not had that problem (laughs) but I often see that as a struggle between um some of the cradle orthodox and the converts Mm -hmm. I think it helps that I came from a more liturgical church like we had um Lent uh and we did Advent in the Lutheran church and they were very there were times of preparation and so I think maybe it a lot of converts would struggle with going from having nothing to having all of these things and I think it's hard to see what things are the most important like it's hard to see the order of importance when you're coming in and our church is like we've had 2000 years here's all these things so that's one thing i like about our calendar is we've been able to talk with um lots of matushkas and priests and learn about the order of importance of things so we do that with our saints it's really cool to learn that about fasting days, you know, like if fasting days fall on a certain saint's day, the church will say, oh, well, we're relaxing this fast or something like that. It's really cool to see that in our church, that even just structurally, our church is making those exceptions. And it it teaches me a lot about the priorities of our church. So, so if you're going to lay out the priorities... How would you do that? Oh, I'm still learning. That's why we meet with a, there's one Matushka that we meet with almost every year. She helps us so much and we relearn them every year. For our calendar as a children's calendar, I feel like going to liturgy is the number one. This is as parents. This isn't as, you know, mothers of the Orthodox church. This is just as parents going to liturgy and then finding things that excite your kids about the lives of the saints so they can make their faith personal. So I don't know if there's a saint's day that my kids are really excited about. Maybe we get like a special treat, even though it's a Friday or a Wednesday, you know, because they're six and we're trying to teach them the joy of the church and they already feel the cycles in their day to day life. One or two Wednesdays and Fridays is going to be fine if we're celebrating a saint, if we make that exception. So having stuff like that, do you want to add anything? Um, no, I don't know. Just, you know, going to Mm -hmm. church, praying at home and like living like you're Christians, you know, it doesn't matter if you are fasting on Wednesday and Friday and you're still judging other people and your kids hear you gossiping and, you know, Mm-hmm. being selfish and mean and like that's way more impactful than whether you're eating ham or tuna you know? yeah so yeah absolutely absolutely i think some biblical prophets would agree with what you just said um <laughs> so with drawing your designs do you guys have a, a particular philosophy in terms of educating children because i know that there's different ways to approach the education of children and again, what you're going to prioritize or emphasize in the actual materials. So 
um, what's sort of the behind the scenes talk about how you're going to educate and what direction you're going to take with that? Well, I think we try to have a lot of variations of things so that there can be something for everybody, whether you have been Orthodox your whole life, you're new to it, whether you have a one-year-old and a 15-year-old and, you know, there's, we try to make things really customizable, customizable, um, mm -hmm. so that it just fits in to be a part of your life. And we try to make it very interactive, whether it's learning about saints or feast days or just parts of the, the liturgical year. We want that, we want kids to be involved with that. You know, even if it's just like, we include like stickers with our calendars and um, all the, the crafts and recipes have modifications so that you can make it for older kids or younger kids. Mm. And no, just, yeah. just have it be like a fun involved part of their, their days. It's a lot of play-based learning that we do which is very interactive yes he approves <laughs> it is a lot of play-based learning or for bigger kids just more hands-on so we have some books in the shop that have really helped us learn about that that focus on the different developmental planes of learning <laughs> that kids have um and I think that's helped us a lot so we have our church and our children and children in the church today that I feel like helps me understand a lot about the different developmental planes that kids have. And then I teach catechesis of the good shepherd at our parish. So I've been through a couple of trainings with that. It's Montessori based and it's very hands-on learning. You work with something with your hands. You ask the kid a couple of questions like, I wonder what it, you know, kind of like, I wonder what it was like to be there, or you have a map. I wonder if Jesus fished here, or, you know, did you know that Jesus walked right here on the map? A lot of interactive hands-on stuff like that. Um, you can call it play-based learning, or you can call it Montessori. We use a lot of that because we found it works really well for our kids. And does that, you mentioned these different planes um, or maybe like levels or phases. Is that based on age predominantly? Yes. Okay. And if you could walk us through just in general, what that kind of looks like at different ages. Cause I know that there are people that will be listening that are homeschooling their kids and, yeah. or, or not. And just, you know, their moms and wanting to educate their children. So could you give us sort of a, uh, Cole's notes version of these different levels. <laughs> I'll do my best. We don't have, we only have kids in, I feel like a lot of times it's broken into three planes of learning. So right now we have kids in the house that are on the first two. So the first one, I don't remember what it's called. It focuses a lot on for younger kids that are going to be five and under, it's going to focus a lot in church learning on God loves you. These ideas of big and small that the kids are really fascinated about because of how their brain is developing. So kids five and under love babies and they love little things. And so we can talk to them about, did you know that Jesus was a real baby, just like Sean Luke? And did you know that he had to learn how to walk and crawl? So their brains are developing in this way. They have a love for this idea of we have these big things and we have these little things 
and that's God. God is infinite and he is baby Jesus come into the world or he is the seed in the womb of the Theotokos but still the creator of the world. So we can think about these things with our kids. Um, that's the first one that comes to mind for that learning plane. Um, just a lot of fam learning about family. Um, I think learning about safety is a big thing with them. Like, or, you know, your family is safe, our church is safe kind of this feeling of security that they're building is really big for the five and up five to 12 or six to 12. The kid's brain starts to be really interested in justice. So I think you see that in especially six to nine year olds. I don't, do you have kids? Yeah. Yeah. They're not in that phase. They'd okay. all be in the first phase. <laughs> you hear a lot of once the kid turns six, you hear a lot of like, so-and-so gets to do this and I don't or these questions of like why isn't this rule the same every single time like as a parent they'll they'll see you make an exception one time like they got to stay up later and they'll be like well why did we do that and so then as Christian parents we get to be like we get to teach about mercy or we get to teach about not judging others with this developmental phase of five to twelve of six to twelve so I, we try to use that in our calendar. I'll try to put questions like that in there. Um, I wonder, I don't know. I wonder what it was like to be, you know, in the cave with the Theotokos and baby Jesus. I wonder what baby Jesus sounded like when he was crying, things like that. So, but yeah, I especially love the three to five plane of like little things can be big and important I think that's really cool to get to teach kids so yeah it's really interesting and would you say that with the calendar with drawing your designs that the target audience is like moms and uh, potentially dads that have kids in the first two planes of learning I would think so yeah and we do make th plenty of things for individuals and grown-ups and you know Mm -hmm. But the, yeah, the majority of our audience and customer base is parents of 12 and under youngish yeah. kids. Yeah. Nine and under. Okay. But yeah. I'd have some for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it is interesting that it's like, you don't just offer products, but you do also have an online marketplace where other Orthodox creators can have their uh, products featured. So it does actually seem like a pretty big catalog that you're offering. It is. My basement is bursting, bursting at the seams. Yes. Right. <laughs> Which is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So with, I want to run something by you in terms of children's education that I've heard before. And just, you guys are um, more adept in this area than I am. So um, I've heard in general that it's good when kids are young and going through Sunday school, that you just want to teach them the stories of scripture and the saints and you don't necessarily want to jump to giving like a moral on it or in like an interpretation of it. They just want to like, they just need to know what the actual stories are and that as they get older, then you can offer some of these morals, but there's a temptation at times in Christian communities to like tell the story and immediately 
give the moral of like, well, this teaches you that you shouldn't do this, or this teaches you that you should do this. Um, and it sounded like wise advice, but I'm just curious what your guys' thoughts are on that method. I think that's, uh, that's the method that I like to use. And if you're tempted to moralize the story or put your own spin on it my favorite our favorite thing to ask our kids is like I wonder so even if the kid is coming to you with a question you don't know like I don't know those questions before bedtime that kids ask you like should we pray for the devil or something like that it's 9 p.m <laughs> and I could tell them stories from the Bible. I don't know. Or I could just be like, hmm, I wonder. And just let the kid think about it for a little bit. So I think if you're tempted to, um, yeah, if you're tempted to start talking more about the story than you feel like is appropriate for the kid, then you can just kind of start to put those wondering questions in there um, to kind of say, this is a story of a real thing that happened. What do you think about it? That it is a real story, but we can also think more about it. So definitely. Let's say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the approach of asking a question in the sense that it gets them involved in the conversation. It makes them start to think through things. I heard um, uh, it was a completely different context. It was at a business conference, but one of the guys said when his kids are fighting with each other, or having a disagreement, he says, uh, how can I help? Which I thought was a brilliant way to go about it because there is such a temptation as a parent to step in and be like, well, these are the rules and you're out of line and you need to go over here. And you know, sometimes you need to do that. But if you've got the space to be able to say, well, how yeah. can I help? Or what can I do to assist you? It kind of puts it the ball back in their court and they right. have to start thinking through things, um, which again, seems like a wise strategy. I'm still a young parent, so we'll see how it works out in the long run yeah yeah if you have the patience for it <laughs> i don't know i like doing it if i have the patience but i don't always so yeah yeah so um what what do you what do the two of you do to like stay fresh and to stay current with like you're putting out educational material and i imagine that there's just a lot of prep that goes into that um by itself and and you'd learn a great deal through just doing the work but um do you find it helpful to have other practices of of reading or, or listening to podcasts or how do you make sure that you're um, staying current or um, that's not even really the right word for it, but just making sure that you are uh, ingesting and still learning things. Oh, I'll be honest and say that this season of my life, I have four kids um, and this season of my life has not held a lot of reading or podcast listening for me. It kind of goes in seasons and this is not one of those seasons. Um, but I do feel like the church is just the, the words of the hymns and everything are so rich that whenever I am, you know, at church, I feel like, uh, you know, I've been going to liturgy, like since I was born, but I still hear new things and I still like see new things in the icons that, you know, make me think. And I think occasionally I'll, I'll read a book or something here or there. <laughs> Bless you, buddy. Um, but I'm doing good if I can read the Bible and pray and go to church. <laughs> so um, we, I think a lot of the the learning side comes from having an idea of like, okay, this is what we want our next calendar to be about. And so then we have to do all the research for that. 
um, which often involves interviewing people like matushkas and priests, monks. Um, you know, we talk to whoever we can who is um, an expert on the subject. And so I've, you know, I learn so much by doing that. Um, and because it's my job, like it, um, I have to get it done. So it can't just get pushed to the side, you know, in favor of all the other innumerable tasks that I have. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be my answer. Learning from being at church and listening to the hymns and then doing the research for the products that we make. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about yourself, Kelly? That's usually how, how I'm learning too, especially a more focused type of learning is picking a theme for our calendar that we feel like is helpful for families to learn about. We just did the creed with the 2024 calendar. And I remember when we decided on it, we both said this feels out of our scope, but we're gonna do our best to learn about it as much as we can. And so we talked to a lot of people yeah. and read and it it came together. And it's been really nice. We just have a lot of people that know a lot more than us that we just take what they say and we put it for families to read. So I'd say the calendars are the biggest like focused learning. And how long does it generally take in terms of hours or weeks or months to prepare a calendar? About, I'd say about eight months from start to finish because yeah. we already have started researching for the next calendar, the 2025 calendar. Mm -hmm. um, and we, it'll be finished in July of next year. So, mm -hmm. you know, I guess maybe longer than eight months. Yeah. Right. Okay. Come here, buddy. Caroline's the queen of putting him to sleep for now. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> so they say, you you know, this is working out quite well to have both of you here and you can pass yes. the baby back and forth. <laughs> That's how we work all the time. It's just you know it's a little bit of everything yeah yeah so um another question that i wanted to ask you guys was just in terms of the progression of learning and this is um partially in your domain with the younger kids but then it it, it extends beyond that so um just if you have like a sense of it or, or or a way you would approach it but it seems to me that when kids are young you just tell them the stories of the faith and other things about life in general and you bring it down to their level and it might not be the most valid interpretation of those things at all times, but it's very useful to them at their season of life. And um, as they grow up, their faith also has to develop and to mature. And sometimes there are things that they might think, you know, if you want to take a really crass example, it might be like Santa Claus or the tooth fairy, well, tooth fairy is probably better or the Easter bunny. You might say that, you know, the tooth fairy is going to come and take your tooth away. And as they grow up, they realize, oh, it's mom and dad. But maybe that there was some sort of lesson in there for them to learn. I'm not sure what it would be with the tooth fairy. But there's other stories like that in Christian tradition that are much more noble and deeper than the tooth fairy. But an example would be the story of um, Jonah being swallowed by the whale, which we would tell the kids as just a story. And some of them would rightly or wrongly say, well, this really happened. The whale really swallowed Jonah. And then as they grow up, they might think, well, this is kind of a silly story. Whales don't swallow people. And then it needs to, the story needs to grow up with them. 
because if it, if it doesn't grow up with them, they get to a place in their life where they just might reject the faith because it, it seems childish and, and silly and far-fetched. But what's nice, I think, in the Orthodox Church is those sorts of things do have a spiritual interpretation to them. And so Jonah is often taken as an allegory of Christ, like descending into the realm of the dead and rising again. And we don't necessarily have to believe that this man was swallowed by a whale. Um, and it doesn't discredit the story. It's just that in the children's lives, we kind of stoop to their level. And then you need to bring the story all the way up to like a more mature place. And so I'm wondering, do you have, do you have a sense of, of doing that? Because, sorry, this is a long question, but it feels like there's kind of two dangers, if I may extend the question for a second. Like on one hand, there's a danger of um, people growing up and just being educated in like the Sunday school level and then not having like an adult catechism. And then it becomes easy for them in their adulthood to just criticize um, the entirety of the faith as if it's just on that child level, which mm -hmm. I think happens a decent amount. Um, but then there's another danger where um, like you, you don't want to become like a secular Christian on the other end of the extreme. So it's not as if everything goes through that same metamorphosis of like, well, it's literal. And then it just gets to the symbolic level, symbolic meaning um, like the, the negative sense of that word almost where it's like just a, a moral lesson, but not something that actually happened in, in real life, because there are things in our faith, obviously, that are pretty spectacular, like Christ coming back from the dead, where we we really believe in the literal events of that as well as the spiritual meaning of like, we go through periods of time where we die and we come back to life. And then we're looking forward to that at the end of our life. So I don't know if you were tracking with, that was kind of a convoluted question, but do you have well, any, yeah, it's go ahead. That you bring up Jonah because that, that actually was an interaction with my kids that I had recently where we were reading the story of Jonah, like it was a children's book of, you know, some kind. And so my eight-year-old who was in that second plane of learning was um, asking me lots of questions like can someone actually be swallowed by a whale was it a whale or a fish um what type of you know creature was it and so I was like well you know I don't really have all the answers to that but we can find out and so we looked up what types of you know whales or large fish can swallow some people if there have been other examples of that you know that have been documented and there have been and so you know we got to look at real pictures of these creatures and um, so I feel like first being open to learning more yourself. I was like, I, I didn't need to have the answer to that. My answer could be, you know, I really don't know, but like, let's find out. Um, but then also I think the church is just so wise with, um, her hymns because you'll hear the answers, like the, um, the more theological answers to those things, like, just like Jonah in the whale on the third day, thou dost arise from the grave, you know, is one of the hymns that you're going to hear every year. And so you can, you can learn it as a kid that, oh, Jonah got swallowed by a whale. You can grow up and be asking more questions. Like, did that really happen? You know, maybe yes, maybe no, but here's like the actual creatures that could, are capable of that. And then when I go to church, I hear the theological you know, real significance of that, that whole story. And um, so I think being willing to say you don't know when you don't know, 
and say you're not sure when you're not sure will I think make makes kids uh, trust you more because you're not just kind of giving them a surface answer or saying something that ends up they find out later is not true and you know then they'll be like well what else were they wrong about so I think it's a mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's, that's a good point. And I think that that is the thing that usually on my radar, the thing that I get concerned about is that um, if we don't approach the faith from a rational perspective in in the positive sense of that word, like not overly rationalistic, but just as people mature, that it is something that's reasonable and it helps you to orient yourself in the world and actually uh, our, our Christianity matches reality in important ways it's not just like an arbitrary thing where but we do all these things and it's internally consistent but it's sort of strange it's like well actually it it matches the pattern of reality and it helps us to live as human beings um and you don't need to discard your reason in the faith but it's like the embrace of that and the proper orientation of it um Anyway, I'm again going on a, a bit of a tangent here, but Carolina, do you have any thoughts to contribute on that front? No, I'm not very knowledgeable about those things as a convert. My husband, as most Orthodox husbands do, loves Jonathan Pajot and the symbolic world and his podcasts and videos. And he talks about this stuff so much. So I feel like if I ever have the time to listen to a podcast or if people who are curious about this have the time that this is what he talks about and I feel like the majority of what I've seen him say and internalized for my kids is like I don't know sometimes it doesn't matter like mm -hmm. especially for a three-year-old or a five-year-old like you're teaching them about God's love and that's what they need you know you're teaching them about you're being a good parent and you're like, I'm trying to love you even though you're screaming at me. And I don't know, that's what God's love is about. But I think it's good to be learning those things for when they go into the other developmental phases. And I would just, I don't know, symbolic world. And uh, what's the other one? Uh, Lord I'll of the remember. Spirits. Yeah, Lord of the Spirits. So I feel like those are great resources. Mm -hmm. And it's important to know what your gifts are <laughs> and like my I know my gifts are not what my gifts are not more than what my gifts are honestly <laughs> I have a long list of what my gifts are not um, <laughs> and so you know recognizing that you don't have to be everything you don't have to have all the answers but you can point yeah. them you know you can talk to people who do and you know yeah you can find the helpers yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think a uh, wise piece of advice, uh, be able to say that you don't know things when you don't know them, point them in the direction of things that may be helpful. And when they're young, just uh, you don't need to really worry about the overly philosophical and theological issues and topics. You can just teach them the faith and show up as a parent and that will check most of the boxes. Well, with... Um, your guys journey together in the orthodox church or even uh separately i, I kind of asked like when you joined the orthodox church were there certain hurdles or when you were being raised in the orthodox church were there certain hurdles um as you've been in the orthodox church as adults are there certain challenges that you see on the radar or that 
you've experienced? And then are there certain ways that you've uh, overcome those? Oh, I think one of the greatest challenges for me is internet orthodoxy, um, watching people battle it out in the comment section over whatever, <laughs> everything, anything. Um, Whether Jonah was real or yes, not. I don't yeah. know, anything you can imagine. Um, and so my advice for people is always just to stay away from that. Like, it, I don't know, it does, I can't imagine that it's really edifying for anybody involved, but I don't know. Um, yeah, if so. you see the comment section just being an argument, then you know that this probably isn't helpful. So there are online resources that are helpful. Yeah, yeah. But if you see it being a battle in the comments, then that's like a red flag. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, we are all, I'm always learning more and growing and everything um <clears throat> so yeah i think seeing people um get very rigid about the rules and um more focused on that than on loving your neighbor is a big struggle for me um and so we're i'm really blessed to be in a parish that i think does a good job of loving their neighbor um but that has been a challenge for me in other parishes that I've been at where, I, you know, it wasn't mm -hmm. as much like that. Yeah, it makes it seem like different things are important. It's like that, what we were talking about earlier, where especially as kids or young adults, you're trying to learn what's important in our church, what was important to God and receiving confusing messages. Mm. So I'm curious, like, um, Marion, what would be some examples of things that people are tempted to hold on to too tightly that should be more of a, they should emphasize more the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. Oh, um, you know, if you go over to someone's house during the fast and they serve you food, you know, you will find people who uh, will not want to eat that because they're fasting. And in my opinion, the more loving thing to do would always be to, you know, be gracious and say thank you and eat it. And, you know, whether you like it or not, whether it's fasting or not, like that is, in my opinion, <laughs> the the better path there. Um, so. That was what our yeah. priest in Lexington taught yeah, us. Yeah. yeah, I mean, different, different people will say different things, mm -hmm. but um, that would be one example of like being really focused on does this have whey powder in it when you should be more focused on accepting generosity and you know yeah showing them love so totally yeah. your brother yeah totally totally yeah and there's lots of things in the gospel about like don't pray in public like don't do your righteous acts so that other people will recognize them and also hospitality is probably one of the greatest virtues and so to like invert those things and be like, well, the fasting is going to supersede the hospitality is definitely a, a mistake. Um, I, but I think that's really helpful to know, right? Because it, like we can be sort of shy about talking about those sorts of things, but I think it's really beneficial for people that uh, haven't grown up in the faith and they're trying to orient themselves because there is so much stuff. It's like a 2000 year history and you're like, well, what's the important thing? And so it's important to say, well, here are some common pitfalls. Here are some things you're going to be tempted to overemphasize. And then 
here's what you should do in those situations or like a good path forward. So um, if you have anything else along those lines, I'd be curious to hear about it, but also we can kind of dovetail this in with um, any advice that you'd have for people that are exploring orthodoxy might not be a part of a church currently, but just uh, helpful advice that you'd have for someone in that situation. I think as a mom with young kids, it can feel really overwhelming when there's just, you know, there's just a lot of options for what you could be doing to, for instance, celebrate the nativity fast or commemorate the nativity fast, you know, and that can feel, it feels like you have to do it all. And then that's just too much. And so you can end up doing nothing or, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or being grumpy and mean. <laughs> um, so I think my advice would be to just focus on making it like a part of your day, you know, whether it's praying with like praying with your kids, your kids seeing you pray every day. Um, and just think of ways that you can incorporate orthodoxy that is sustainable and, um, just can be a part of your routine because that's what orthodoxy is. You know, it's a faith, it's a way of life. It's not something on Sunday. It's not something that you practice. It's only, you know, it's not something only when you pray before the meal or whatever it's, you know, it's your whole life every day. Um, so I think focusing on being realistic about what's sustainable for you and starting with that and then adding little by little, rather than trying to jump in whole mm -hmm. hog right at the beginning. Yeah, I would say the most helpful thing for me has been talking to older parents, like parents that have 13-year-olds or kids in college. I know it's hard to find those people if you are not part of a parish. So I would say if you're looking into orthodoxy, just finding a parish and giving it a shot. Um, I know that my husband was kind of spearheading our journey into orthodoxy because it related to his career so much. And he got to a point where he'd read all the books and he'd read all the discussions. And he said, I have to go to the church. Like I have to physically go to a church to see if the reality of the church matches their theology. So he reached the point where he was like, I've read about it, but now I have to go see if it's true in practice and not just in books. So I think that helps too, is just putting yourself in an Orthodox church building and then staying for coffee hour or staying for whatever, because you learn a lot from church and us. I agree with Marion. We learned so much from the hymns, um, but nothing beats sitting down with an Orthodox mom or dad who has a kid in college and you tell them your plan for Advent, we're going to do all these things. And they go, okay, well, you know, here's what we did. Or just asking, ask them your questions. Because like Marion said, they're the people who are like living and breathing orthodoxy every day. And they've done it before. So I feel like I learned the most from asking older parents. But you got to put yourself in a church or in a coffee hour to do that. Well, that's uh, very shrewd advice, and I want to thank you, too, for the time this morning. It's been a pleasure speaking with the both of you, and I wish Draw Your Designs um, the greatest su success going forward. And we should do a shout-out. If someone wants to find you online or elsewhere, uh, how can they do that? 
Our website is drawnyourdesigns.com. We also have an Etsy shop. Um, we're on Instagram, draw.near.designs. Um, and we're on Facebook. Um, you can email us, hello at drawnyourdesigns.com. So. Perfect. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And uh, maybe we'll do it again in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for checking out that episode of the Orthodox Christian Podcast. And if you know someone that would be a good guest on the podcast, please use the form in the description to submit their info, mostly looking for public figures in Orthodoxy, or at least people that are comfortable talking about their faith. Also, if you have a question about Orthodox Christianity, you can use that same form to submit it, and I get to those as soon as I can. And in the meantime, I hope that you have a peaceful week. Take care.